Hello, listeners. Jordan here. I just want to let you know that you can listen to Nighttime early and ad-free on Amazon Music. Include it with Prime. You are tuned to the Nighttime Podcast, focused on the fringe of Canada. Welcome back to my coverage of what may very well be Canada's most well-known outsider artist and musician, Tonetta. In the last episode, I was joined by my good friend and former bandmate, Aaron Corbett, for a discussion surrounding this controversial figure. And naturally, there was some controversy. Just as I had expected, a portion of nighttime listeners really don't share my appreciation of Tonetta. But also, as I had expected, the majority of listeners I've heard from thanked me either for highlighting a favorite artist of theirs or for introducing them to one of the Internet's more memorable rabbit holes. If you find yourself in the latter group, you're going to love this episode. As I explained in part one of this series, it took a lot of work and it got weird a handful of times, but I managed to connect with Tony Jeffrey, the Toronto-based man behind the Tonetta phenomenon. And Tony, he agreed to share his story in an interview. The result was easily one of the more spellbinding interview experiences I can recall. Tony's story is as wild as you'd expect, but in hearing it, I think some of the mystery that surrounds him will begin to make sense. Let's just dive right in. Just like he did in part one, buckle up because it's time to welcome one of Canada's most unique citizens for a no-holds-barred telling of their strange story. Tonight, in this episode of Nighttime, we're joined by Tony Jeffrey, but you probably know him by his stage name, Tonetta. How's it going, all you (laughs) fuck-ups? How's it fucking going? All I do now is my guitar. Should I be calling you Tony? Is that what people call you? Yeah, you, well, the guys I work with, you always call me Tony. My my family, brothers and sisters, mother and father, they called me Anthony. Uh, people now on Facebook, they, some of them just call me Tonetta. Yeah, and that's like... And then when I walk around downtown, I would hear Tonetta, right? So yeah. I don't know them, but they know me. Oh yeah. Well, people you're... know me downtown. Eh? One girl was in the bulk, you know, the bulk foods, uh, bulk barn. Uh-huh. I was in there. A girl was at the cash. She said, "You told me that." I said, "Yeah." She said, "Well, I watch you on Facebook. Can I have your autograph?" <laughs> I said, "Sure, sure." Oh, that's amazing. Well, you're... they do notice you. People notice you. Yeah. Well, there's no escape in the fact you're known around the world as Tonetta. But tell me a bit about Tony. Like, who are you? What's your background? Where you're from? Just give me kind of the crash course. Well, in, in I, who I'm you are. just born in Toronto, uh, basically downtown Cabbage Town. You know what I mean? Then we moved to New York. You heard of John Candy? Yeah. I went to school with John Candy. Oh, cool. At, at Holy Cross School at Cosburn in. Uh, uh, Don Lanson Cosburn there, the school there. That's a great school, because eh? I didn't go too far in school. In fact, I don't even think I made it to grade 7. They flunked me in grade 1. They even flunked me in grade 7. Huh. Uh, because I wasn't... Um, they gave me a test later on. You know, I was better with my hands. So they sent me to, like, um, a trade school eh, when I was about uh, 14 or 15 years old. What they did was they take you on work study. Mm-hmm. So I went to an upholstery shop, eh? 
And I talked to the, one of the guys on the line making furniture. He says, you want to come here? He says, all you got to do is apply. The government will give you $48 a week to learn, and you can get out of school. Mm-hmm. So I went back, talked to the principal. I was only 15 years old, right? I said, look, I can get a job as an apprentice at House of Braymore, eh? Mm-hmm. And, um, and, and the government will, will give me like an apprentice thing at $48 a week, so they let me go. I left school early before 16. Oh, wow. And then uh, I was making, uh, like I say, $48 um, a week, and I learned for any year some of the stuff. I quit there. I went to a place across the street, a poultry shop, and um, I was making about 120 150 I think, a week after that, you know. And, I, and uh, I was giving my mother all the money. She says, when you turn 16, she says, I'll buy you a motorcycle. And um, she did. I gave her all the money. I didn't need the money. From that motorcycle, you know, I just progressed. I was riding motorcycles for 25 you know, 30 years. You know, I just love motorcycles. Yeah, and you know. as as someone who listens to a lot of your music, it, it's obvious to me that you have some kind of musical background. Like, did you have education in music, or was this something you're always into? Like, when did music start for you? I guess around when I first saw maybe Elvis Presley. I don't really know. I What I used to do when I was a kid, about eight, nine years old, I used to get a piece of wood, right? Mm-hmm. A long piece of wood, like a two-by-four not very heavy, I would put nails in the top and the bottom, and I'd put elastic and pretend it was a guitar. <laughs> By the time I was 13 or 14, I went downtown uh, to Richmond's Trading Post and I bought an acoustic guitar, and then, um, I don't know, I just kept playing, playing it, you know, all my life. I never gave it up. I never, you know, I, I, I loved the guitar, you know. I used to always play with my brother. When I had the house, I built a sound room in the basement. Mm-hmm. I could never write music. I didn't know, I didn't know, I couldn't, if I, if I tried, I couldn't write a song. Um, but uh, my brother would always come come over, and then after work, and we we jam in the, in the basement in the sound room I built. And I didn't know my ex didn't like that. <laughs> you know, when I had the marriage breakup, the first thing I took was my guitar. <laughs> I left everything else. I didn't care about everything, everything else. Yeah, and you never played in bands or anything like you just. This well, is... the only band I played in was was my school buddies. Um, and we went to we went to um, California in 1969. I bought a I bought a Beetle Volkswagen brand new one, eh? and we took that to California, three thousand miles. But I knew they weren't ready back then. We weren't ready. They figured they're going to make the big time. I think for, it was Frank Zappa. We were we some some manager got in touch with us when we got to California, Los, An- Los Angeles, mm-hmm. and he backed us up a bit. Eh, we put us into a studio downstairs, and upstairs was Frank Zappa or someone do, doing a recording. Oh, cool. Yeah, you know, we were that close to, you know, famous people, eh? Yeah. We saw a few famous people in California. We stayed there for about two months, and then uh, we headed home again because, uh, you know, I never knew we were, I never, I never thought we'd make it. We just weren't ready. I knew we didn't have our, our shit together, eh? Simple as that. Mm-hmm. You know, the writing was okay, but we it wasn't tight. I was basically tra- playing rhythm. They didn't want, weren't interested in anything what I did. So I basically cut out. Well, once we got back, you know, I went back to my job again, and, um, and I, like I said, I, I got married. Yeah. And, but I never gave up the music. I yeah. never, never, ever gave it up. And you talked a bit about your, your marriage. Like, I guess at, at a point in kind of the late 70s, early 80s, it seemed like your life kind of became a bit more traditional, where you had, like, the the wife and the and the kids. Can you just kind of tell me about what your life was like at that point? Were you kind of like a career man as an upholsterer? Or, or what was your life like during kind of the happier days of your marriage, I guess? Well, there was no ha- real happy days in my marriage. I met her. At the, uh, someone was getting married, and she knew who they were, and I knew who the people were, right? Mm-hmm. 
So that's how she met me. I was wearing a black velvet suit <laughs> with long hair. That's the way I was in the 60s, eh? Yeah. And she kept approaching me at the reception, right? Dancing. I said, look, I don't dance. I'm not a dancer. Basically, no, fuck off and leave me alone. She kept bugging me. At 1 o'clock in the morning, I basically gave in, and I, you know, I, I don't dance. I don't dance. When you see me on YouTube, that's different, man, because that's something I had to learn. Mm-hmm. So anyways, I finally danced with her. And she found out uh, where I lived, across the street from her girlfriend's place, which with my sister was uh, this across the street, same girlfriend, right? So she hung around with my sister to get to me now. And she was on the pill. I, 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 those things I didn't know anything about back then. Mm-hmm. I was a virgin until I met her at 24. Uh, the first time was with her, and it was it wasn't very good. Because what she did was she took me to her, her parents' place in the basement. There was a couch. Mm-hmm. She gave me some wine, a big bottle of wine. I drank the wine. And then uh, basically I, never, I don't drink. And I got a little bit, uh, you know, dizzy and everything. Mm-hmm. And that's when she started taking advantage of me. Oh, God. She laid on the couch and I screwed her. <laughs> and then her, her, her brother comes down the stairs seeing her, you know, naked and stuff. I mean, to me, that's cheap. But anyways, after that... Uh, we were basically boyfriend and girlfriend, and um, wherever we went, it was sex. If you if you want to be that way, fine. So we went away, we went here, went there, you know, wherever it was, you name it, in a tree, it was sex everywhere. Yeah. And she says she loves sex, I can't live without it. I said, well, then why don't we get married? Because I love sex too, right? Mm-hmm. And so we got married a year later. And then once we got married, she says, I think sex is highly overrated, I don't like it. She says, if you learn how to swim... Um, we could have sex. Or if you do this, we could have sex. If you cut your hair, we, we, we'll have sex. I mean, what is the deal? I, I, don't, go, I don't go for the deals. I mean, I, I don't know. I, I, I didn't understand her thinking. She didn't marry what she saw. She married what she could change, and, and that just doesn't work. Of, of all the men in the world, she decided to try to change. She chose you. Uh, probably not the wisest choice she made. You know, I had nothing but trouble with her. You know what I mean? I wasn't even in the wedding pictures when we got married. Her oh. parents had professional photographers, eh? Mm-hmm. So the photographer, she was over her her parents' place, eh? And I guess they went in the backyard. You know how they take professional pictures of the bridesmaids and the bride? Yeah. Well, that's fine. They did all that. But I didn't know any of that until after after we got married, about two weeks later, when she got the pictures back, right? Mm-hmm. I said, where am I in, 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 in any of these uh, wedding pictures? She says, my parents didn't want you in. <laughs> I said, well, I'm the groom. You know, I said, that's ridiculous. Then yeah. I took off the ring and I never wore it again. I said, forget it. I said, I, I, I want an annulment. But she kept push, putting it off, eh? Meantime, yeah. I had two kids, two boys that were taken after me. You know, I rode a motorcycle for 25, 30 years. My kid was wearing a leather jacket at eight years old. He got one ear pierced at eight years old. He was, he was hanging with me. He was a boy, right? Two boys, right? Yeah. My mother, my, my, my wife says, she says, well, I don't want them taken after you. I said, I can't stop them. They're boys and they're doing, you know, they take after their father. She said, well, I'm going to put a stop to it. And she got rid of me. That was in 83? Yeah, that was 1983 when, when I finally had an appendix attack. I ended up on the floor at 6 o'clock in the morning. And what happened was my appendix burst and they rushed me to the hospital. Jeez. You know, I could have died right then and there. And then I, got, I went home after two weeks, right? She said, I'm not going to take care of you. Let your parents take care of you. <laughs> so I went to my mother's, 
when I went to my mother's, I was still in pain, and then I was get, trying to get over the fact that, you know, like, you know I'm, I'm losing the kids, losing the house, right? So you got mental damage and physical damage, right, at the same time. Mm-hmm. I basically had a nervous breakdown. So when I went to my mother's, what she did was she turned around, and she got the law after me. She, they said, my lawyer said, she says, all Mr. Jeffrey has to do is just pay 325 bucks a month uh, for the two kids. But what happened was two weeks, two or three weeks later, she got a lawyer again after me saying she wanted twice as much money for the kids, three, you know, six hundred and some odd dollars. I went up there. I said, "From now on, you're never going to get a penny in your hand." She said, "Well, fine then. You can't see the kids." I says, "Fine." So I never saw the kids to this day, and they were eight and ten years old, and then they never got a penny up until, <clears throat> up until I turned about sixty years old when I got my um, Canada pension uh, check. Yeah, and they started taking money off of that. And what I the total what I really what I owed was came to ninety eight thousand dollars. Oh jeez! And wow. they were taking fifty bucks a month off my Canada pension, and any government check that go to me, they deducted like a GST, HST. You know what I mean? Yeah. A guy, buddy, figured it out. He's going to take one hundred and sixty years for you to pay that kind <laughs> of money off. But it, it, it's like I say, it's still going on to this day. I haven't talked to her since nineteen eighty three. Haven't seen the kids for nineteen eighty three. They're still taking like money off of me. Every now and then I get letters, you know, these, these government letters saying uh, GST, blah, blah, blah. But it, it, it goes to your, it goes to family, whatever. I think they take the money and then give it to her. But she's a millionaire now. Her parents passed away. They were, they were, they were rich. I listened to music for years. Still have the same amount of tears. Love songs never helped my life. If anything, it made me think twice Cause it's all bullshit Music's all bullshit Time to flush it down the toilet Yeah, and and, now a lot of people think that your divorce had led to you blazing your own trail and, you know, taking your own kind of unique route through life. Do you think that that was the case? Like, do you think you leaving this terrible marriage kind of gave you the freedom to just blaze your own trail? Well, uh, I think uh, 100%. Yeah. Uh, someone said, too, you have to go through great pain in order to uh, let everything out of you. And I think that's what happened because I told you, I said, I had a nervous breakdown very, very bad, eh? You know, uh, you know, it was almost like suicidal stuff, eh? Mm-hmm. If you're, you're my mind, I was deep in thought. You ever, you ever seen a person deep in thought? Oh, yeah. You, you can't reach the person. I was like that for about um, well over a year, and people knew it. They said, this guy's just way, way, you know. The kids, I lost the house, basically lost her. And, and also, I had an appendix attack, so you got mentally and got physical problems. Mm-hmm. You know, with the appendix, that was unbelievable. What happened was, my buddy said, come on to my place, we'll have a couple beers. In this. Meantime, I was on medication. I didn't know you mixed the two. You can't mix the two, right? So we went to a strip joint. He said, come on, I'll take you out. We'll forget about things for a while. I kept drinking beer. And all of a sudden, my head started spinning. I went into, like, um, I, 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 epileptic. Uh-huh. Someone, I could hear the stripper there say, grab his tongue, grab his tongue, right? And all the, all the, all the nude girls, my buddy said, oh, you got all the nude girls around you trying to help you out. Meantime, I heard the, the ambulance coming, but he knew that I wasn't ele- epileptic. So he took me in his car, took me to his place. I slept it off, right? Jesus. <laughs> and that's what happened with that. Oh, man. You know, 
do you do you feel like this is kind of when you really got into you know the creation of music and the drawing and the artwork like is it around this is this kind of like the time that you see this all starting well that was a, like i say it's around 83 mm-hmm. 83 84 mm-hmm. that, that's when I, you know like i said i had to go over to my mother's and um i had a room there and did you notice on the wall i had my drawings and everything yeah well that that's my mother's place and i was in the hall and I did a two, three, two, three, four different quick songs. I think it's called Oldies. I, I posted, I posted that up. And my mother was down. You could see me looking down. My mother was. She would always be on the couch watching TV. Right. <laughs> I got it. I got it along with my mother, hundred percent. Yeah. The videos you mentioned making, like the early days, those oldies videos that, that you made when you were living with your mom. Do you do you remember what the point of them was? Like, were you making them to share with people, or maybe to find a new? Yeah, band? I know I was sharing it at the time. How were I was you doing putting that? them on. I was putting the music on cassettes and the music on VHS, and I would go downtown. You know how you can rent movies and all that. Yeah. Well, just when you walk in, in the, sort of the place before the store, you can put things on the side, mm-hmm. flyers and whatever. I would put my, my, my cassettes, my videos, just leave them there. Uh, Tony's Music, back then I called it. When I first started writing, putting music in, I was giving away cassettes all the time. Just like even just passing them out yourself around downtown Yeah, Toronto. Yeah, I was passing them out. I was just passing them out. I'd go where I, where I would go. I would give them. I, even the, I would put my music on uh, VHS on tapes, right? And I, and I would donate it to Value Village, just and that, right? Mm-hmm. And people would buy it and probably listen to it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. When I rent a music, when I would rent a movie, eh, in a movie place, the very end, you know how the movie's over, the year, got some tape left over? Yeah. I would put a song on. <laughs> oh, great. So it would be a surprise for people. One guy had a ghetto blaster downtown Saturday, Friday, Saturday night, right? I said, look, I'll give you 20 bucks, just play drugs, drugs, drugs all night. <laughs> I had a drugs, drugs, drugs button. I had a thousand of them made back in 84, because that was one of the first songs I ever wrote. Mm-hmm. And the people think it's about me, but it's not about me. It's about two girls I, I, I picked up hitchhiking. One sat beside me, had a Plymouth Horizon, one in the back seat. And then I, I, I put the, the I had the tape running, eh? One in the back seat, do you mind if I smoke a joint? I said, do what you want. I don't give a shit what you do. So we're driving downtown. I had the music playing. And then when, when, when she, they were listening to the music, and then uh, when I got to them to their destination, she says, one of the girls beside she says, do you mind if I say something to you? I said, sure. I said, what do you want? She says, you're a music. She says, don't you know any more than three chords? It sounds like shit. So after that, I let them out. I went home and I wrote drugs, drugs, drugs about them because they were doing drugs. <laughs> that's, what, that's how that song came about. And now it's a hit. That's one of your best songs. Yeah.
um, so you talked about doing the cassettes and VHS tapes and whatnot. Tell me the story of how you found out about YouTube and how you started getting your music there. Uh, I, w- I would give my music out to certain people. They say, what, to put your stuff on YouTube. So I just found out more and more about YouTube. I didn't know about accounts, how to open them or anything. I can't type. So I got a guy to open up an account. It was called Tone Tone 444 mm-hmm. about 11 years ago. And who, was this guy just like a friend of yours or somebody who liked you? No, people, on the, people help you. They're on the street. You know, people, they're on the street. Mm-hmm. I was paying like um, $10 every upload. Oh, wow. I was going broke. Mm-hmm. You know, I have 100 uploads at 10 bucks a shot, and then YouTube closed me down, and I got to give the guy the same amount of money again to open it up again. Mm-hmm. I was, you know, every time I worked, the money was going, always going to the music. You were going back, you know, had very, had very little money to pay the rent. <clears throat> but anyways, who was it? He, he's not there anymore on YouTube. He's the one who made me famous because he got about, he was, I was in there, he was talking about uh, me, Lady Gaga, blah, 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 right? Mm-hmm. And on that thing, that, that, yeah, um, that that got 10 million views. And once that got 10 million views, he told them about my TJ1749, right? And I had Precious Zone on there. Mm-hmm. And once everyone started getting on my T- my YouTube TJ1749, it, my Precious Zone jumped to a million and a half, and YouTube closed me down. Okay. Yeah. They closed you down because they're jealous. Yeah. In- There's no other reason. They closed me down 50, 60 times, these people. Yeah, it's crazy. They told me down no more than a month ago. They said, you're not allowed to open up an account again. You're not allowed to watch anything on YouTube. What I did what next day, I opened up an account, and I'm up there again. I got, I got 120 more, 20 subscribers already. Yeah. And YouTube's not saying nothing right now. They says, congratulations, you got a, over 100 uh, subscribers already. Mm-hmm. So they're, they're mixed up. Yeah. It's, it's I don't a... think they know what they're doing, because I'm following the guidelines. But what it is they don't like is me dressed up as Tonetta, mm-hmm. shaking my ass as a guy. You know, I mean, you're a guy doing that, right? Yeah. So that's basically the problem, mm-hmm. because I can say anything, swear, this and that on songs and all that, and um, they leave it alone. Yeah. I don't understand. I don't understand why they're even doing it. I think it would be good for them. I mean, uh, as far as nudity, you, you can actually go on YouTube and watch a nudity. Mm-hmm. You know, and you can, and what it is too, they don't like the bulge. You know, when you're wearing your your tight pants, you see the bulge. <laughs> yeah. So they give me a violation for that. I'm a guy, so what am I going to do? How am I going to hide it? Like you, you can you can go on YouTube and watch ballet, male ballet dancers with the bulge, and they leave it alone. I said I'm not doing it deliberately. No, my father got a big cock. <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah. I was blessed. YouTube doesn't realize that, I guess. <laughs> Even my mother said, she said, "Boy, you're going to have a lot of girlfriends." Well, I got that, but I also have a lot of boyfriends. <laughs> you know, it's kind of funny. Yeah. Got a really, 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 really nice cock. The kind that will make love rock. It's thick. It's long. It's well hung. It's a really, 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 really nice one. One thing I noticed is it seems like from kind of the early days of your videos, at some point between then and present, it seems like you really ramped up the sexuality. Like a lot of your earlier videos are more about your life and sort of softer love songs. But then there got this point when you started releasing songs like Pressure Zone, where the sexuality is just so out there. Like, can you yeah, talk yeah, about but it's because I was, I was, I was uh, venturing out. I used to go downtown a lot. I used to watch the in, in the village all the gays, right? How they they would entertain on the streets and all that. Mm-hmm. I used to go to Pride every year, 
they all gave me ideas, new ideas. I was open-minded, and I still am open-minded. I think a lot of gays, I think they're just, uh, you know, how the people put them down, I'll never know, because I think they're very, um, very good people. They're soft-hearted. They have feelings. Mm-hmm. They gave me the idea. They're entertaining, but they're using a girl's lip-syncing. Mm-hmm. So I'm doing the same thing, but I'm using my own voice and my own words. Yeah. and Basically, that's what, what I'm doing. Yeah, I know. As far as the character Tonetta... How did like where did that come from? How did you come up with with this specific look and and you know in, in this name like where did Tanetta come from? What happened was when they closed me down the first time on YouTube, Tone Tone Four Four Four, about eleven years ago. I told the guy open it up again, and every time I was paying, right? So I opened up. I said I said I opened it up again with Tonetta Seven Seven Seven, and Tonetta was more like a girl's name, right? Yeah. So I had a I had a, a mask worth a dollar. It cost me a dollar of value of village. I put the mask on, right? So I started wearing a mask and acting a little bit feminine, and then I was getting views. Yummy, yummy pizza the same night got 6,000 views okay. on a Saturday night. So He phoned me, the guy. He said, you know, you're yummy. I said, yeah, what about it? He said, you're, it's already up to 6,000 views. Wow. And then I started doing more and more about uh, the Tonetta, wearing a dress, wearing this, wearing that. You know what I mean? Yeah. and it, it's that's, just, how it, uh, that's how it evolved. You didn't think it out. You just came up with that. Oh, yeah, no, no. It's like I'm being driven. I'm being told what to do. Mm-hmm. That's really what it is, I think. And, I'm being guided. Yeah. Like, pressure's on it. I don't know how I came about with those words, but it just went down so quick on paper. And I never thought that one would do as well as it did. You know, but it was just in my head. I can't wait to put it in my You know what I mean? <laughs> it just all happened. Yeah, but it's... It's like... Sorry. Well, if I tell you something, you might you mightn't believe me. Mm-hmm. Um, what, what has happened to me in back in 84, eh? What's that? I followed John Lennon all my life. Mm-hmm. So therefore, I didn't have to write a song. It wasn't important to me because I had somebody to listen to. It's like some people, they follow Prince, right? In mm-hmm. this and that, right? Till they die. Well, I followed John Lennon till, till he died in 1980. And then um, I think there was a turning point in 1980. Something happened to me because um, I, I, I didn't accept the fact that he was dead. I, I just wouldn't accept it. People say, oh, Lennon's dead. I knew he was dead, but you know, sometimes you just don't accept it anyways. Then it was when my marriage broke up, this and that, uh, 83, 84, I had a nervous breakdown. And I thought in my head that if I ever go to sleep, I won't wake up, I'll die. So I forced myself to stay awake for three weeks. Huh. My brother said, you shouldn't, be, you shouldn't do that. You shouldn't force yourself. To I did. Every time I would, do, I would wake up I would do, or I would go out all day, I would never sleep for two or three weeks. I was laying on a couch in the basement in my mother's place, eh? And then a force, a spirit or a force, mm-hmm. went right into my body. And I figured that thing, that spirit, whatever it was, was John Lennon. And I'm not sitting, you know. And then after that, I started writing music. Wow. So, I don't know. People laugh, uh, but I'm not laughing at that because it did happen. I still remember that. And I was awake. I was, I don't know, I was totally awake when it, when when the force went into me. Mm-hmm. I believe when when someone dies, the spirits are still out there, eh? And they can enter a body. They can probably even choose the body they want to enter. And who would Lennon choose? It would be one of his his followers, was someone who loved him. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's what happened to me. That's why I'm able to write, and it's so easy. I couldn't write. I couldn't even draw. Some of my art is unbelievable. I don't believe I'm doing it myself. The art. I don't believe I'm writing a song in, in, in five minutes and putting it together complete in, in half an hour with videos. Mm-hmm. I don't believe it's, it's me to this day doing it. 
You know, I believe John Lennon's spirit is in me. Wow. It's yeah. as simple as that. I just want to ask you about your the actual recording process and your equipment. I've always been a fan of kind of vintage and rare guitars. Like I see a lot of the equipment you're using is stuff I've never seen before. I'm, I'm guessing you've come across this stuff in interesting ways. Like tell me about the equipment you have and where this stuff came from. Well, there there isn't. I have just an old guitar I paid thirty five dollars for from the sixties. Mm-hmm. So it looks different because I took a saw to it, I chopped it up, and I repainted <laughs> it and stuff. When I'm putting a song together, I don't even bother tuning it. Mm-hmm. And then uh, that's the guitar. It was 35 bucks, And also my 8-track, it's just an 8-track Fostex Digital, okay. and it's falling apart. I paid 40 bucks for that. I'm looking for another one now. Okay. And I have a mic. I have a bass guitar, Vantage, which is, uh, I never changed the strings now in about um, 30 years. <laughs> I don't bother with it, with it. I figured, hey, the people are accepting me the way I am. I won't even touch anything. Yeah, I don't have more than a hundred dollars worth of equipment that I use. And you have a drum machine? Is that where the drums come from? Yeah, I have a a, 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 a what is it? Fostex? Could be a Tascam. It's a Tascam, like a drum drum mixer with different beats. Mm-hmm. But I never use it. Never go back to it to change the beat. I leave it alone because I don't know. I guess I just don't care. Yeah. <laughs> Well, it's that that drum beat is the tonetta sound I find. But what about the videos? Like I, I heard you you find a lot of the clo- the the women's clothing and stuff. I heard you find a lot of that. Like where do you come up with your costumes and wardrobe? Well, a lot of a lot of people sent me it too. Eh? So the girls they sent me their bras, their pantyhose. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I get a lot of that too. I got buddies who I know in Toronto that um before the before the stuff goes to the Goodwill or Value Village, right? They throw bags over my balcony to see if I want any of this stuff. <laughs> and I hold on to it all. Some of them I use, and the ones I don't, I, I throw back in the box. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But no, I, I had about three, four guys, and, uh, you know, I said, anything. I said, I don't care if it's girl stuff, pantyhose, whatever. I said, you know, I could put something together and do an act, right? Mm-hmm. I got all kinds of wigs and stuff. Oh, yeah. I got masks, eh? But masks, I'm selling masks. Yeah, I've been I've been yeah. watching on Facebook. He's selling the, the well. You're selling all sorts of things. Tell me about that. Like, what are some of the? I'm selling my own sperm. Do you see that? I didn't see that, but I'm not surprised. I'm they're buying it. They're buying my own sperm on a chain. Wow. What I do is it's liquid, right? It is 100% sperm, my sperm. Mm-hmm. So I boil it. I, I I add gelatine. It's the hardener. Yeah. About a teaspoon of that in it. I I I. I let it uh, form it into an. Uh, I have a rubber, like a nipple uh, mold. Yeah. And then I just I just put it in the fridge. It hardens. Wow. And then it hardens like a rock. Then I drill a little hole in it, and it's done. And people, I've already sold three or four of those. Yeah. And you were selling toenails or fingernails, I think. For a yeah, while. yeah, those two. I still have about five to sell. Wow. So what are some of the like aside from the sperm and the fingernails? My teeth. I I, I sold my teeth. Yeah, I saw that. Two of them. I couldn't believe it. I had two teeth pulled about four years ago, and it was 120 bucks with X-rays. I figured I'm gonna I'm gonna post this on Facebook, see if somebody wants to buy my teeth. And I says all I want on Facebook is 120 bucks. Some guy the next day sent me 300. <laughs> he bought both the teeth. 
I I said, why'd you send me so much? I want 120. He said, yeah. He said, but you put a video together along with it, and your mouth was bleeding. I felt sorry for you. Oh God. <laughs> so we sent. So he sent that. Yeah. Well, it's your community of people that follow you are definitely an interesting group. But the one thing is for sure is they they support you and they want to see you continue to do this. Like for for people who are out there listening to me or watching your videos that want to help you, you know, do more of this. What can they do? Like, would you suggest they go on Facebook and buy this stuff from you or or how can can we help you? I don't ask. I don't I don't believe in that stuff. I, I leave it up to them if they want. You know, my music is free. You know what I mean? I put it there for free. That's what it's all about because I'm getting an old age pension, and it's not necessary. Mm-hmm. I'm not. I have no intentions of going out there buying a car, <laughs> buying a motorcycle, uh, buying a big house. I, I have no intentions of this. No, it's, it's interesting. I, there's this kind of this idea of somebody becomes so rich they have what they call uh, fuck you money, meaning like you have so much money, nobody can tell you what to do. The way I see you after talking to you now, it's like you may not be rich and wealthy, but you have enough for what you need. So it's almost like you have that fuck you money. You just are doing, it seems like whatever you want and you don't really, you don't need much from anybody. No, but that's, isn't that the best way to live? Absolutely. Without so many bills. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, everything you own is is, is pressure on you. Mm-hmm. It's stress. Yeah, it's, it's stress. It's. I, I I didn't. I never cared for owning so much things, so I don't need the money that bad. Mm-hmm. You're just. But also, too, at the same token, I don't want to give things away because you shouldn't do that. Yeah. No. I. I... You, know, you gotta. People should pay something for you know. But the music I'm actually giving them all. You know. Mm-hmm. But I have my music on Bandcamp, eh? But I, you know, I can put another two hundred up there if I want. Mm-hmm. But people are once in a while they're buying. Yeah, and do you, like all these old songs that you have, I'm just kind of imagining in your apartment there. Do you have just like a a, a shelf of like all your old tapes and VHS and cassettes and all that stuff? Like where is all this stuff? I don't know. I don't, it's all over the place. I have downstairs as a storage space for 24 years. All my writings, a lot of my writings, were in there in a suitcase. Mm-hmm. I never went back there down there after even 23, 24 years. Maybe it's not even there anymore. You know what I mean? Maybe they cleaned it out. I have um, tapes. I have DVDs. I have cassettes. Everything's all over the place. I actually, what, what, the reason why I was doing all this, because someday I was hoping to go into a studio and doing everything right. And that never happened. Yeah. I just wanted to keep records of, of my stuff, right? Mm-hmm. In case later on in the future, um, I want to do, I meet uh, maybe a group or a band, and then I want to do it right. But that just never happened. Yeah, I've turned down... Uh, Tours. I've turned down tours. I've, I've turned down downtown um, gigs. Five, six hundred dollars a night. I've turned it down because I don't want to play live. And why is that? Why don't you want to? Because I, because I, I figure you, you don't know. You're a target. John Lennon was shot. Some guy would love to shoot me just to be famous. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah, but either way, there's no concert that's going to give you the the reach that the YouTube channel and Facebook has given you. Like every time you release a video, it's basically a concert with you know people from all over the world are watching you and appreciating what you're doing. Well, people say you you have a big fan base. I guess maybe I don't know if I do or not. No, you do. People say you you do. Well, then if that's the case, then how come I don't have a lot of views on my music? Mm-hmm. But I do have a lot of people ordering things all the time. Yeah, you know. I got a burrow on my foot. 
you're still listening, thank you. My biggest fear going into this interview was that I would accidentally dispel some of the mystery that surrounds Tonetta, and as a consequence, diminish some of the magic that so many fans get lost in. But as a Tonetta fan myself, I found a better understanding of Tony's story has only added to my enjoyment of his work. In the end, love him or hate him, Tony Jeffrey is one of Canada's most brilliant artists. And I stand by my prior statements. If there were more artists willing to take their passion as far as this episode's guest, the world would be quite a bit more interesting. Now, before we part, I have some thanks. First, a massive thank you to Tony Jeffrey for sharing his amazing story here on Nighttime. Tony, next time I'm in Toronto, I hope to meet for a coffee. Perhaps I'll even bring a guitar along and coax you into your first public appearance. The faces of the other coffee shop patrons during an unexpected Tonetta performance would be worth the airfare alone. Next, a big thanks to my partner in music, friendship, and the weird, Aaron Corbett. It was a blast having you on part one of this series, Aaron, and I'm excited to do it again soon. And then, of course, the biggest thanks of all goes out to everyone listening. Without you, I'd have no excuse to spend so much of my time putting this all together. For anyone out there who wants more nighttime, please consider supporting my Patreon campaign. For a dollar a month, you can access the ad-free premium feed, which provides early releases of the episodes. And then, for a couple bucks more, you can access the Nightcap After Show, in which I and a guest climb even further down the rabbit holes than you'll hear in the main episode. You can join my Patreon and access the supporter content by visiting patreon.com slash nighttimepodcast. And with that said, I'd like to thank the current patrons of the show 
and welcome some new members to the group. Katie, Jacqueline, Passat Dream, Kalaxa, Anna, and Marla, I appreciate your generous support of Nighttime. And for anyone else who'd like to support the show but can't help financially, you can give me a big hand by telling your friends about me and by leaving a positive review on Apple Podcasts or whichever equivalent you use. If any of you listening want to stay up to date with my activities on and off the show, follow me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. I use the handle at NighttimePod. If you have any story ideas or want to give feedback on the show, I'd love to hear from you at NighttimePodcast at gmail.com. Now, until next time, take care of each other, hug your loved ones tight, and listen to Tanetta. The Nighttime Podcast is written, hosted, and produced by Jordan Bonaparte. Copyright Jordan Bonaparte. Well, you know Tosh, Daniel Tosh, right? Yeah. Oh, I was on there. You knew that? Yeah, I knew that. Yeah, well, that, that was, uh, he even paid for my passport. Oh, that's great. He paid for my teeth. Did he? Good. That's amazing. Well, he says, I'm doing, I said, if you're doing an interview, he says, my upper teeth are all shot. He said, well, we'll send some guy to make you a mold like celebrities wear, eh? Mm-hmm. So he said, once you get into, once you get into Los Angeles, we'll send him up to your place. It'll be about 11, 1130 at night. He came up. He took a he took a, a mold of, of my upper teeth and low. No, just the upper I think. I can't remember. But anyways, I said, how much you charge them? He said, I'm charging them twelve hundred bucks. I said, why so much money? He's because they want it tomorrow morning. <laughs> wow. They spent over six thousand dollars to get me there. Wow. Well, I, like I said, you're worth every penny of it. You know, with the flight, with with the Marriott Hotel, and all this sort of stuff, right? It all came to. I figured it out. They spent about six thousand dollars just to get me there. Now I don't even know if Tosh Pino is still around. I don't think it is, but people still watch the and listen to the old stuff. So I'm sure people are still finding out about you from it. <laughs>